last week, we made a lot of headway. It was pretty incredible considering we made more headway than like the seven previous weeks. Finish off chapter four and even did so well. We got over halfway through chapter five and today we're actually going to finish chapter five, which is fantastic. And then as we get into next week, obviously we're going to break into chapter six and chapter six, I was hoping uh, to actually take it down in one week, just in one sermon. And uh, after looking through it this week, I, I realized that's not going to happen. But uh, it looks as to be two weeks. I'm hoping two weeks. It could be three weeks. <laughs> it, it may be four. We'll see. But there's going to be a couple more weeks after this week for sure. Uh, I know at least that much. Uh, with that said, I want to I circle back to the last two verses we ended off with uh, last week. In Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And again, we looked at this. Paul throws this powerful anchor statement because he knows the evil inclinations of the flesh. He knows where it could go and how we will abuse liberty. He already knows it, so he throws this anchor statement that's really, really powerful. Today, just to kind of open up, I want to take you to... A monster anchor statement. And, and all it is, it's, it's this statement that, that you see on the screen here. But he elucidates on it. It's, it, it's an elucidate. It, it is very, instead of this, you could read between the lines a lot on this. And we did last week. I took you to all these scriptures where Paul's saying the same thing here and there. And we, we kind of put everything together. I just want to take you to a passage that lays it out all explicitly. And it's really powerful. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up today by going to Hebrews 10. For if we sin willfully after, that's the key thing, after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now that's a frightening thing. See, because what Paul's talking about in Galatians of, you know, we have embraced this liberty, we're embracing grace, we're embracing Yeshua as the Messiah. Okay, so we have that truth. But then, here we come, and we see, but if we sin willfully, and going back, we're not to use liberty as an opportunity of the flesh, you need to understand the exact same thing is being conveyed here. And how scary is it to see this? That if we sin willfully, it's over. Don't expect Yeshua's great sacrifice to cover you. Now, we got to continue on, because there's a lot said here. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Moving to verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moshe's law. This is the Torah. And I want to be clear about this. Moses' law. Christianity has this really bizarre perspective today. Didn't always. Has this perspective that the law of Moses is Moses' law. It's not Moses' law. Do you know it's called the law of God? You know how many times it's called the law of God? Just go back. Do, do a word search. I didn't put it up here today. But it's called the law of God over and over. In fact, I'll take it a step further. We read about the book of Moses. The book of Moses. Go to Nehemiah. It says the book of God. It's the book of the Lord's. The Lord's book. The Lord's law. That's what it is. And so when you, when you recognize this, it's important to recognize this because it changes my perspective as how I look at the law of Moses. I don't see it as a product of man. It is a product of God. So anyone who rejects Moses' law dies without mercy. There's no mercy to someone who rejects the, the law of God. On the testimony of two or three witnesses. And all you need to do is go to the Torah and read the Torah. Read Deuteronomy 17. Read Deuteronomy 19. And that's exactly what the Torah will tell you. You will die on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? insulted the spirit of grace. Let me just highlight that. What I want you to understand is what the writer just said is very simple. From the giving of Torah, the law entered because of transgression. From the giving of Torah to the time of Yeshua, we have this, this gap period. 
It was one thing to sin in this timetable, during this time, before the coming of Yeshua. It was one thing, and you deserve to die if you rejected Moses' law. It is a whole nother thing to sin after Yeshua has come on the scene. It's completely different. You are, you are found worthy of a much greater death than all the men who sinned prior to the coming of Yeshua. Now think about that. You are worthy of more death. And that changes the perspective of, wow, it's more incumbent upon us to be more obedient than ever before. Because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And an acknowledgement of that sacrifice will bring you into obedience. It will bring you back to the law. It will bring you back to the Torah. See, this is the reality. But it's amazing to me how the devil has flipped this thing upside down. And now today, it's because of the grace, it's because of that, well, now I reject the law. And they don't realize they're being led to their death. That is a reality. It is not, you do not think that you're going to insult the spirit of grace and grace is going to cover you. It's not going to happen. And that, that's just not just for a, a wayward church. This is for every one of us here today. This puts me on my knees. And I'll be the first in line, trembling. But this is real. We need to take this stuff to heart. And so when Paul talks about, do not use liberty as a cloak for wickedness, as, as a cloak for flesh, as an opportunity for the flesh, this is exactly what he's talking about. We, we get the weight of it. We get the weight of the statement in Hebrews, which most people believe Paul wrote it. I do as well. In Galatians 5.14, moving on, for all the Torah... Is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, just to reiterate here, Paul's telling the Galatians, he's literally instructing them what they are called to do. He's not quoting in the Torah for the sake of sounding good. He's telling them, Galatians, Gentiles, this is what you're called to do. We, every single one of us, Jew to the Jew first and to the Gentile, we are called to fulfill Torah. Game changer makes me look differently at the Torah. Amen? This is a total game changer. And, and again, you, you look at this, what is the Torah? It's a book of love. It promotes love. Nay, I say it demands it. And therefore, we are commanded to fulfill it, and this is what we must do. Not falling into the lies, the cunning deceptions, where Satan tries to paint the law as barbaric and antiquated. It's our nemesis. It's our enemy. We can't buy into these things. We've got to push through. Now, Paul goes on to say this. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. This is an interesting. Notice what Paul does. Here he shows us what we're called to do. We're to fulfill the law. We're to, we're to show love to our neighbor. I mean, it's the ultimate fulfillment of the law. But then he contrasts it by the ultimate work of the flesh. The opposite. If you bite and devour, that's hatred. Being filled with hatred. So here, and this is in Paul's DNA. You see, I mean, you'll see this. When I mention this, you'll start to read his other epistles. You'll see this all over the place. The apostle Paul notices two roads. There are always two roads set before him. The road of life and the road of death. We always have two choices. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Two trees. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One brings life, one brings death. Behold, Deuteronomy 30, I set before you today, life and death, good and evil. Choose, choose life. He's putting two paths before the Galatians right now. Choose. You need to choose between these two. And what does he say? He says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. What does that mean? And this, this, this statement to walk in the spirit is so huge. And again, this is a game changer. You know, if you were to ask me 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, what I thought walking in the spirit was, I would have given you a very definition than what we're going to see today. I grew up in assemblies of God movement, love my church, you know, and it's kind of a branch of evangelical Christianity that is very, very in tuned with a heavy emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. 
And specifically, the gift of tongues. It was nothing for me to go to church and the whole community to erupt in tongues. I didn't bat an eyelash at it. It was nothing for when prayers got together that most of the time it was in tongues and, you know, and that's just how it was. And their focus on that was because the, the, the way they see this is that the gift of tongues is a manifestation. And it is. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And what they knew is that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, this is explicitly clear because that is the proof of our inheritance. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, well, then there won't be a manifestation. So if I don't have a manifestation, I don't have the Spirit. And so if you were to ask me, and this goes the same with, with prophecy, and this goes the same with healings and miracles, these, these, these manifestations. If you were asked me 20 years ago, well, how do you define walking in the Spirit? I would have told you it's a manifestation. It's a manifestation. The power of God is on me. And things are happening. Today, I will tell you something very different. That is not what it is. And you need, one thing you need to understand is there is a distinction between walking in the Spirit and a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, the manifestations of the Spirit, when authentic, are powerful moves of the Most High God. They're awesome. They're awesome to behold. And, and I've actually experienced healing. So when I talk about manifestations, I, I speak from experience. These things are real. But that is not walking in the Spirit. I want you to think about something. King Saul. He was anointed of the Most High God. He was anointed with the Ruach HaKodesh. There was a manifestation of power. When he got to the prophets, he started prophesying. It wasn't him. It was an authentic move of power. He had nothing to do with it. And see, that's the thing about manifestations that you need to understand. And this significant difference. With manifestations, God's not asking you, is it okay if I go ahead and anoint you with the Spirit? And I have some things I'd like to convey to my people. Is that permissible? He doesn't ask permission. He doesn't ask permission when the Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2. We just celebrated Shavuot. He didn't ask anybody permission. It just happened. And the Spirit spoke. It wasn't a product of man at all. It was just a real move of power. And so this happened to Saul. He began to prophesy. It wasn't him. The, the Spirit is just flowing through him. But here's what's interesting. When you study his life, what you will find is he didn't walk in the Spirit. It cost him everything. It cost him the mercy of God. All you need to do is read the book of Chronicles. Literally says the mercy of God was taken from him. He lost the grace. He didn't walk in the spirit. What about Balaam? Consider Balaam the prophet. One of the most, one of my favorite messianic prophecies in all of scripture. Behold, a star will arise, will rise up out of Jacob, a scepter out of Israel. And he will batter the brow of Moab. Meaning this one that's coming, this Messiah, he's going to rise up and he's bringing deliverance. He's bringing deliverance to Israel. This was Balaam. How, how was Balaam's life? How did it end for him? He was killed. He was killed by Israel eventually. This is the will of God. You know why? Because he taught the Moabite women to seduce the Israelites. And ended up causing a great slaughter in Israel. The very man that Balak hired to curse Israel, instead of cursing, he prophesies. That's a manifestation of the Spirit. But Balaam did not walk in the Spirit. He did not walk in it. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a massive distinction. And the distinction is this. And yes, it's all spiritual, and it's all holy. But to walk in the Spirit is to commit your life to God. It's to bear the responsibility. It's to pick up your cross and follow Him. It's to keep the commandments of God. That's what walking in the Spirit is. And just so you know, the Apostle Paul, he defines the term for us right in this passage. You notice that? Let me highlight this. For all the Torah is fulfilled in one word. Okay, we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. But if you don't do the Torah, if you end up hating one another, you're going to be died. You're going to be judged. You're going to be consumed by one another. So what's he say? Walk in the Spirit. Going right back to where he started. In other words, what he's literally telling you to fulfill the Torah is to walk in the Spirit. Game changer. Game changer. This makes me look at the Torah completely differently. And this makes me understand that walking in the Spirit is walking in obedience to the Lord. So, you know, 
I, I, you think about how, how ironic some of this is as, as we talk about this and we look at how Paul defines himself in his own terms, yet when we go to modern day Christianity, oftentimes the interpretation of what it means to be guided by the Spirit is to reject the law. This is how they see it. The only way, and I've had these conversations, I bring this up, and when I talk about the Torah, they'll be like, oh, I'm so, you're, they, they look at you, and, and, and at times they're, they're very wonderful, sometimes they're caring, sometimes they're condescending. You know, it depends on the day, I guess, depends on the person. But the more, they feel bad for you. They feel bad for you. You're uneducated. You don't understand the new covenant. You don't understand. We're supposed to be guided. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. We have a new, profound way. But they say that, and they reject the law, as though these two things are unrelated. The Torah has no relationship to the Spirit of God. What did Paul say? He said, for you know that the law is spiritual. The Torah is spiritual. If I am going to walk in the Torah, that means I'm going to be spiritual. I'm embracing spirit. Given the importance of this topic and what the devil has done to it, I do think it's important we spend a little bit of time on it. Today we could certainly do another series on this. I don't think that's necessary. But we're going to spend some time on this. And, and I'm going to take you to some various passages to build upon what Paul just defined, walking in the Spirit, what that actually means. And the first one I want to take you is into the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 9, the, the Levites, they have risen up. And it's a, it's a really cool chapter. It's a very long chapter. It's a really cool chapter that the Levites, they rise up and they start declaring the praises of God. They start recalling how God provided and what he did for Israel in the wilderness. Now as he does this, in a very prophetic way, they speak to us today, very powerfully, on this very subject. Nehemiah 9.20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them. Holy Spirit. To say good spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. And what was it given to them? And this is talking about in the wilderness. He gave his spirit in the wilderness, as they were in the wilderness, to instruct them. Well, you think about, well, how did that happen? We'll just go back and read the story. Read the Mount Sinai. What did they get? Paul said the law is spiritual. What did they get at Mount Sinai? They got that which was spiritual. And on top of that, the Lord anointed Moshe and also 70 elders of Israel with the Ruach HaKodesh. They were anointed. And to the fact that they're prophesying, Joshua comes to Moses, stop them. Eldad and Medad are prophesying. He couldn't believe it. The power of God was coming upon them. Well, these elders... And Moshe, what did they do with Israel? They taught the people the law. And here we're told it was the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God instructing them. Powerful perspective. And you did not withhold manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Jumping ahead to verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Oh, how? They cast the law behind their backs. What was instructing them? The Spirit of God. When they rejected that Spirit, how did they define that? How is it defined here? The rejection of Torah. This is scary. And they killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. And there's great provocations happening in the church today. Verse 27, Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, and when they cried out to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. Verse 28. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Isn't that the natural way of how we behave? When all of a sudden the blessings come in, we start to do this. What happens? We forget God. We forget him. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned, now listen to this, when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. This is a powerful, and this is off point a little bit, but no matter where you have gone, I can't emphasize this enough. Something that's habitually played over and over and over again. And I got a message coming in the future on this very thing. But no matter how far you've gone, if you turn back, 
if you call upon the name of Yeshua, you will be saved. There's going to be forgiveness. Amen? All right. Verse 29. And testified against them. So this is what the Lord, he comes and testifies to, against his own people that you, now look at this, that you might bring them back to your law. So when the prophets come out and they start testifying, what was the point? Come back, my people. Come back to my word. Come back to the Torah. Come to your senses. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. In other words, you will reap what you sow. And they shrugged their shoulders and stiffened their necks and would not hear. I got to tell you something. We are living in a generation of a church with stiff necks. They are stiff-necked people. It is amazing to me, and, and I've heard this in, with my own ears, and how they scoff at Israel, and how they didn't, and, the, and, the, and the, how they rebelled against God in the wilderness, and how they would have never done that with all these miracles and stuff. And they're doing exactly what Israel has done. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting His word. They will not hear. And we go to verse thirty. Yet for many years you had patience with them. Oh. And how? And you testified against them by your ruach. So these prophets that are going out, turning them back to the law, to the Torah, now we're told it was the ruach. It was the ruach taking them and bringing them back to the ruach, bringing them back to the Torah, bringing them back to which is spiritual. So you testified against them by your spirit in your prophets, yet they would not listen, therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. And so the simple point I'm making here is that notice what the Spirit of God does. And this is consistent throughout the entirety of the word from Genesis to Revelation. It will take you back to the Torah. It will take you back there. So if you have people that are going out saying, well, no, no, we're listening to the Spirit. We don't listen to the law anymore. I question what spirit are you listening to? It's the spirit of Antichrist that would take me away from the word of God. It's very scary. Even scarier as I peer out and I look at the fastest growing church today in Western civilization. It is the church of the Antichrist. That's how terrifying things are right now. That is the fastest growing church. It is the church of the Antichrist. It is like a cancer, literally eating a body, consuming, spreading. It just is, it's, it's, just, I can't even articulate it. If you walk in the Spirit, you will walk with God. You will walk in His law. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk. This is walking. This is, you don't think that Paul's accidentally utilizing this statement for a reason. Or accidentally saying, walk in the Spirit. He knows what it means. Here, we're to walk in the law of the Lord. That is our derech, it is our way. That is how we are to go. Verse 35, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Think about that, that psalm. The cry isn't rejecting the law, the cry is for it. The cry is for the, make me walk in it. How many people are praying today, Lord, make me walk in the commandments. Make me, no matter what it costs, no matter how much you got to break me, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Make me do it at all costs. Why? Because it's my delight. It's what I desire in my heart. And yes, the flesh is weak. And the flesh is powerful. And very influential. Make me walk in your commandments. This has to be our desire. Moving ahead to verse 59. I thought about my ways. Oh, and I turned my feet to your testimony. The Aseret HaDevarim, the Ten Commandments. Turning his feet. Lance, walking. Think about how you're behaving. Think about what you're doing and turn to his commandments. You're turning back. This is repentance. Psalm 85, verse 13. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. This is one of those verses that was revolutionary for me. The first time I read it, it's, it this happens to me from time to time where I'll come across the passage and I'll just step back. And for 20 minutes, half hour will go by of me just pondering. What did I, I, I haven't seen, man, this is incredible. For me, when I read this, it totally transformed how I looked at the Torah. 
how I looked at the commandments going, now I see, wait a minute, all of these things that he commanded, they're laid out his footsteps. And when he says, come and follow me, what does that mean? That I must walk in his ways, that I must walk in his commandments. It didn't make me look at the, at the Torah as my nemesis, as this vile thing that has to be rejected like a cancer. It's the footsteps of my king. I am following him. And yes, the devil is going to come and try to take you off of those paths to tell you, no, you don't need to walk in his footsteps. You need to be liberated. You need to be liberated. This is what's being sold in it. You think about Leviticus 19. Be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. That's why we do this. Simply, this is his command upon us. We are called to be holy, separate, set apart, nothing like the world, because he is holy. That's enough. And what Yeshua says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. The end of Matthew 5, right? This is what he said. We're to be perfect. And in John, in 1 John, in 1 John 3, 3, anyone who has hope in Yeshua will purify himself just as he is pure. See, I won't run away from his word. I'm going to run to it. I'm going to want to be sanctified. I'm going to want to be purified. I want to take you to Romans 8. And remember, Romans 8, it comes after chapter 7. But what was said in chapter 7? That the law was good, holy, just, spiritual. He makes all these statements, right? Well, look at what he goes on to say in, in chapter 8. We're going to go through this. This is powerful. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Messiah Yeshua. Now, the rest of this, you'll find that the rest of that text isn't in most translations that are out there. It doesn't exist. And so they thought this was an afterthought, a later edition. But I don't want you to panic or anything because this, we're going to deal with this statement. It's just made in a couple verses. Okay, so we'll get to that. Moving on to verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Mashiach or Messiah Yeshua, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, obviously, I mean, if you're a believer, this is 101. We understand the problem was sin. The sin had total power over us. We needed redemption. We needed a Savior, okay? And there's, what is Ecclesiastes? There's, no, there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and does not sin. I mean, that's the problem. All of us are plagued. With this carcass of flesh and sin. So we need a savior. We need someone to deliver us. And that was Yeshua. To set us free from sin. He paid the price. Now continuing on in verse 3. To, uh, for what the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. It was weak through the In other words. The law through this carcass. Could not produce salvation. And where's the weak link? Well, it wasn't the law. The law is strong. It condemns. You're the weak link. I'm the weak link. It was weak through the flesh. It couldn't, we couldn't obtain salvation that way. Therefore, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And that's a powerful statement because he did come in the flesh. Anyone that tells you he didn't, it's the spirit of Antichrist. It's a lie. He was manifested in the flesh. And despite going through all the temptations that we read about, that he went through, that's actually, he was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. This is the testimony in Hebrews 4. Okay, we know he, he experienced fear in the garden. As he's, please take this cup from me. I mean, all of these things, but guess what? Not one of them got him. He never turned to the right or to the left. He did not cater to fear. He did not give in. He went to the cross. He knew what he had to bear. And because of it, we have life to those who call upon his name, to those who believe. Amen? Amen. Verse 4. That, and here's the point of it. This is why he came. That the righteous requirement of the Torah. Now, first thing to acknowledge here, what does the Torah require? Righteousness. This is what it is calling for. This is what it's about. It declares righteousness. It requires it. It declares love. It requires love. That the righteous requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us. Oh, now look at this. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You get that? Because this is where things get really intense. 
We just discovered here, according to Romans 8, 4, according to the Apostle Paul, and this isn't the only place, that salvation is not for every believer. Not every believer is going to make it. There are a lot of believers in Jesus are going to hell. Read Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. They're going to call him by name. They dedicated their lives to serving him, to proclaiming his name. And at the end, he says, well, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, Paul is playing off of this. Not every believer, just because you call upon the name of Yeshua, you're not getting in. So who is getting in in this pool of believers where not everyone's getting in? Who is getting in? Only those who walk according to the Spirit. Only those who walk according to the Spirit. You walk according to the flesh, you are going to die. You walk according to the Spirit, you will be set free. John says the same thing. 1 John 1.6 If we say that we have fellowship with Him, I'm in relationship with Christ. He's my Savior. But we walk in darkness, we lie, and do not practice the truth. See, the relationship tests are 1 John 2.3 Now by this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments, He who says, I know Him, does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. Wow. That makes me want to know what the commandments are. Because I need to know if I'm in relationship. It's a tester. It's the ultimate tester. Now listen to this in verse 7. But if we, what is this? Walk in the light. What does Proverbs 6, 23 say? Your commandment is a lamp. Your Torah is a light. I'm to walk in the light. I'm to walk in the Torah. Or as Paul says in Galatians, I'm to walk in the spirit. It's all the same. Start defining these terms. So, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning Yeshua, we have fellowship with one another. And what happens? And the blood of Messiah Yeshua, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Interesting. The blood of Messiah covers every believer from... No! No, only those. If, if we walk in the light, then the blood of the Messiah Yeshua will cover us. See, there is only, there's only a remnant of believers that are going to make it. Only a remnant. And getting back to chapter 8 in Romans, we have a few more verses to cover before we get back to Galatians. For those who live according to the flesh, oh, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. This is one of those debilitating verses that you just skim over and just keep reading. Nothing to see here. We don't want to acknowledge this. Because if you have to do a test... If you have to do an audit of where you're at in your relationship with the Lord, this is a good place to start. What do you meditate on? Are you meditating on coveting? Do you have idols set up in your heart, in your mind that you meditate? Do you have immorality? Are you committing adultery in your heart? Are you not taking captive every thought to the obedience of Messiah? This is who you are. You can put on a show for us. But the Lord knows your thoughts and whatever you're meditating on, that's who you'll be. That's who you'll be. So if you're of the flesh, that's what you'll be thinking is flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And what are the things of the Spirit? It's this. We meditate on His Word. We meditate on the gospel of Yeshua, what Yeshua did on the cross. The price that, we, that He paid for us so that we could have grace. We meditate on that. The fulfillment of the scriptures. This is where we need to be. Moving on to verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Okay, so Paul's drawn, he's drawn this contrast. We have the mind of the flesh and we have the mind of the spirit. And now he says, well, to be of the mind of the flesh, to be carnally minded, that is death. Oh, but to be spiritually minded is life in peace. You see how he, the two paths, everywhere you go and you see this with Paul, he knows it's, it's in his DNA. His theological DNA is just coming out all over the place. There's two paths. You choose one or the other. But then he goes on to say, because the carnal mind, meaning the road of flesh, is hatred, it's enmity against God. Why is it enmity against God? Because it is not subject to the law of God. You understand? So when you're talking, when you're traversing a path of flesh, you will refuse the law. You will say, no, I don't need that. I'm being led by the Spirit. Thank you very much. I will go this new way. That is terrifying. 
This is terrifying because we have a lot of Christians, Christian pastors and preachers. We have professors. And they have no idea. They don't realize what they've gotten themselves into. The delusion is so deep. They will look at you that you're lost. And not recognizing that they're falling. Just read this black and white. Read this in the text. And it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Those who are carnal... Those who are rejecting the Lord, they will reject the Torah. And nor indeed can be so then, going on in verse 8 here, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You'll never please God in the flesh. Verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of, of, the spirit of Mashiach, he is not his. Now, notice... The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Messiah, Paul is using them synonymously. They are one and the same. And, and when you read John 14, this makes perfect sense, actually. When you read John 14, he goes, we will come. Yeshua says this to us, that we will come as in the Father in him and make our home with him. And so this is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. So if you, have the, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you are not his. And that's frightening, and that just shows you we need the Spirit of God. If Mashiach dwells in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness, Psalm 119, 172. Moving on to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That's, you see, as many are as led by the Spirit of God, it's helpful to understand that in the context of what's laid out biblically. I go, I traverse in the commandments of God. I traverse in the righteousness of God. I traverse in the truth of God. This is who I am. This is who we need to be. A Spirit-filled believers. We talk about, are you a Spirit-filled Christian? I don't know. Are you following Yeshua? Are you keeping His commandments? That's the question. To be, a, to be born again, as Paul talks about with, with Nicodemus, uh, Yeshua talks about with Nicodemus. Being born again means crucifying the flesh with its passion and evil desires. We do what's holiness. We, we walk in holiness. All right. So with all that said, I want to take all this information that we just went through, and I want to bring it back to Galatians. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, for the, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. What did he just reveal to us? It's, it's interesting. I mean, over the years, I've had so many people come up to me, and you can see it on their face. You can hear it in the tone of their voice. They're exhausted. They're exhausted. And, and I've actually, I mean, so many times, Daniel, why? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? I'm following the Lord the best I can. Why does it seem, why am I experiencing these trials and tribulations? Why do the temptations not leave, Daniel? They're not leaving. They keep coming back. Why is this addiction that I have burning in my heart not going away? My answer is, is because you're at war. Who told you you're not at war? Who told you it was going to be easy? Because everything I read about in scripture tells me the exact opposite. The only thing Yeshua promised in this life was tribulation. But be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. We can have peace. We can have inner peace. But there's this concept of we lose the fact that we're at war. If you're struggling with these things, I'm going to tell you right now, if you will not fight, you will die. If you will not fight, you're going to die. You have to fight these addictions. You have to fight the, the flesh. As long as you're in this flesh, until Yeshua comes back, the war will not end. And every single day you get up, your flesh is seeking to destroy you. Every day. Some of us get a, a day off, maybe. Maybe a couple days where we're, you know, spirits on us. It's so heavy. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're super Christian at the time and nothing can penetrate. And we get really, you know, sometimes too puffed up. 
make no mistake, he's coming back. And we're told that the enemy waits for the opportune time. He waits for the opportune time to hit you when you're weakest. And he's going to hit you with your addictions, the stuff that your flesh is naturally given to. So if you struggle with immorality, it's coming. Get off the computer, whatever your issue is. Stop looking at specific magazines. If you have a coveting problem, turn the TV off with all the ads. This, we're, we're in a system right now that is so anti-Yeshua, that is so anti-God. The system is set up for you to do everything that is against the commandments of God. All the cards, in, in a sense, are stacked against us. Thanks be to God, Yeshua went to the cross. Because without that, we wouldn't survive this. But through him and his promise that he would send his spirit to us to convict us, to drive us to his word, you have the power. We can do all things through the Messiah, Yeshua, who strengthens us. And so through that, we've got to go. We've got to go through the valley. And know when you're going these temptations and you're experiencing these things, hold fast. Know that your brothers and sisters are going through the same thing. They're going through the same thing. Be encouraged. Go to the Word. Spend more time in the Word. You want to overcome these things. You know, <clears throat> I think about Deuteronomy 8. And I look at what the Lord did with Israel. And I've said it how many times I've said it. If the church today had to go through what they went through, nobody would make it. Nobody would make it. Because they went out and it wasn't, to, oh, we're going to take the caribous and Starbucks away. And you know what? you got to worry about your job and your 401k. Well, we're going to take that away. And we're going to do it. No. You get up out of Egypt totally go into the wilderness and what does it say they had no food and water in deuteronomy 8 they had no food and water why because the lord went out to test them whether they would keep his commandments or not that was the test he will take from you and test you we're this we're in our we're in our wilderness we're being tested are you passing the test or are you caving in and they caved in because of fear fear is crippling and I've dealt, I mean, not just with women, but with men. It controls. And the enemy pulls us like puppets with strings because of fear. Don't allow him to do this. Fight the good fight. In 2 Timothy, okay, where am I now? Here we go. In 2 Timothy, we read, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Messiah Yeshua. Look at the terms that Paul is sharing with Timothy. We're soldiers. Paul is in the mindset of war. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, listen to this. If anyone competes in athletics, and he, you know, we're talking about this Greco-Roman system Paul is in, the games are everywhere, right? If anyone, does, anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. How many of you ever read that? You will not receive reward unless you compete according to the commandments of God and you stay within them. Only they are going to receive a reward. Going back to Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not under law. Now, again, we've covered this a little bit, but a very, very misunderstood term today. Unfortunately, again, Christianity, a lot, much of Christianity is looking this as not to be under the law. Well, that means I need to reject the law. I need to listen to the Spirit. I need to reject the law because I don't want to be under the law. The ironic thing is, is the very thing that they're trying to avoid, they're stepping into. Because for you to reject the law, you will be brought under the law. You see how good Satan is? And he's not good, obviously, but diabolically evil? The deception? How does he do it to get the Christians to look at certain scriptures in the exact opposite way it was intended? It is amazing to I mean, I marvel. And not that I'm intellectual. I wouldn't know anything without the grace of God. So I thank him, but I look at the blindness that is on these people, and I marvel. Exact opposite. All the way across the board, when you see all the issues that are coming up, it's because they've twisted the scripture and looked at it in the exact opposite light. Or darkness. Going on, verse 19. So, now the works of the flesh are evident. So you want to know what it means to be under the law? 
Paul is going to describe what it means to be under the law. It's the works of the flesh. And they are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. And that's pharmakeia. In the, in, the, in, in, in the Greek, that pharmakeia, which is it's a fascinating term in how it's used, how it's used in the Septuagint, when you, you, you go to the book of Exodus, this was the term used of the uh, Egyptian magicians who mimicked, who produced a sign, who turned their rods into snakes just like Moses turned his rod into a snake, or the Lord. They mimicked it. This is pharmakeia. And, and as you get into Revelation, it gets even a little more interesting. In pharmakeia, when you actually look at the definition, it, it really refers to uh, the usage of drugs. The usage of drugs to poison, the usage of drugs for witchcraft. And you'll notice that the harlot who sits on the beast, she has a cup and wine is in her cup. She's making the nations drunk with her wine, the wine of her fornication, and says she seduces the nations, pharmakeia. She is seducing the nations, and that, that term is this very one, this sorcery. Hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, verse 21. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. Okay, so drunkenness and revelries really the same thing because revelries are drinking parties. Again, all these things the Tanakh speaks against. Everything he's listed, you could go to the Tanakh and the Tanakh speaks against these things. We ought not to be drunk with wine. And interesting, what does Proverbs 31 say? Those who get drunk with wine, what happens? They forget the Torah. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we could go back to the harlot riding on the beast who has the cup and the wine. It's making the nations drunk. And what is she doing? They're forgetting the Torah. Amazing. Amazing. That's a different sermon. Uh, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things, practice, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to be very clear. It's not a reference to those who stumble. That a momentary lapse, but the Holy Spirit came in and convicted them. They knew that they did wrong, and then they go to their knees and they ask for forgiveness. That is, that, 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 that's not the scenario being painted. No, they're practicing. They've just, they, their conscience is seared. They, their heart is getting hardened. You know what? I'm going to do this because I want to do this. I'm going to do this sin. I, I will look at the other things that I'm, are easy to me in the Bible. I mean, how often do we do that? Oh, yeah, I got this. This is great. But we somehow skim over the parts that speak right to us. We don't want to change. We don't want to hear. This is what it's referring to. Those individuals who practice. And I just want to quickly take you to John 3. Whoever abides in Yeshua does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Yes. So One of the, one of the stumbling blocks I've, I've discovered in talking with pastors and, and, and professors and uh, just our lay Christian people, it was one of the stumbling blocks for the Torah. And I've, I've literally, I, this, this one particular conversation, I'll never forget. I said, you know, this is what b believers in Yeshua should love him and keep his commandment. We should be going to the Torah and seeking how to please him. And, and the response was, nobody can do that. Nobody can do that. You're not going to do that. You, you, can't, you can't keep the commandments. In Jeremiah 18, literally says that when God came to Israel and told him, turn back and keep my commandments, they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to the dictates of our own heart. See, what I'm telling you, it is possible to walk in righteousness. If it weren't, John would never say this. It is possible to walk in righteousness and to be righteous just as he is righteous. Ha we are able to do that through faith in him. John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Why? For his seed, and this would be the Ruach, remains in him, remains, not taken, but remains, unlike Saul. And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. This rebirth, this born again believer. In this, the children of God, oh, and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not uh, love his brother. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul just conveyed in Galatians. The people that practice wickedness, 
that do these things, they are not of God. They're not. Moving on to verse 22. We're getting close here. But the fruit of the Spirit... Now, okay, we were talking about the wickedness and what it means to be under the law, to be condemned by the law. Now we come to the fruit of the Spirit, the opposite. The fruit of the... And to say fruit means you're bearing something. You're bearing something. It's love, the opposite of hate. It's joy, the opposite of depression, the sorrow of the world. What does Paul say, 2 Corinthians 7? The sorrow of the world produces death. No, that's not Holy Spirit. So when you're looking at all these other people and they got all these fancy gadgets and they got these nice homes and it seems that all they, the world is just their oyster and their peace, you're not supposed to be looking at that to desire that. It causes the sorrow of the world. Well, you're breaking the 10th commandment of coveting. Yeshua should be enough. Yeshua should be enough. And, and someone that's out there coveting these things, I, I'm telling you right now, you have a problem with your relationship. You have a problem with your relationship with the Lord. Love, joy, peace, and not the peace of the world. And actually, Scripture says we are not to seek their peace or prosperity. We are not to seek it. What are we supposed to seek? It's that inner peace that we get from the comfort of knowing what Yeshua did at the cross and what he's coming back to do. That brings us peace. That no matter what tribulation we face, it's not a big deal. We can still rejoice like the Apostle Paul and sing hymns while being chained into prison. That's the faith. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. You think about, the, again, First Timothy chapter 1. Paul says the law was not made for the righteous. It was made for the wicked, for the insubordinate, for the lawless. That's who the law is for. If we're walking in the Spirit, as Paul commands us to do, the law can say nothing against you. If I drive down the road and the speed limit's 55, and I do 55, I'm not going to get pulled over. I'm within the confines of the law. I'm freedom. I'm under liberty to go wherever I want. Amazing. So as long as I'm within the parameters. I break that. I do 100 miles an hour. Now I'm going to come under the law. It's very simple, right? All right, verse 24, let's wrap this up. And those who are Mashiachs have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we are living in an age that is immersed in filth of desires. All we know how to do is covet and whatever we want, we want it now. We'll go get credit cards. We may not have the money, it's irrelevant. We want it and we want it now. This is a scary environment we're living in. We need this we need the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We need to be confessing and praying to Yeshua and daily to survive this wicked, wicked generation we're in. And the last verse we read, if we live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another.